Read along with me, if you would, please. We pick it up in verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. So in this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you openly. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven and on earth. Let's try that again. Do not lay up, just see if you're listening, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Pray with me, would you please? God, thank you for the privilege of this day. For the beauty, Lord, of what you're going to do in this time. Overcome all oppression, all weirdness, all weakness, all sinfulness, and just shine. Show yourself mighty, powerful. I pray that you would speak to every one of our hearts today, that we could hear you and know you and love you more. And that today, we would find ourselves transformed. Part of your revolution. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible be your authority. 
Well, to start this revolution, a smaller, more succinct band of determined disciples depart from the multitude of those simply touched by Jesus. Well, their attitude now is humble and hopeful and hungry for change. The message that Jesus speaks in Matthew 5-7 through is for them. Not the multitudes, but the disciples who really want to be like Jesus, not just get from Jesus. And what I've discovered is the moment that I decided and really in my heart that I wanted to become like Jesus, I started to realize how truly unique he is. In that we learn that persecutions are inevitable, intrinsic, and to be the salt and light that we need to be, we need to recognize that the incumbent religious right and their iconic vaunting piety has failed. Currently, religion as we know it, it just doesn't work. Well, really, it's kind of a dumb show of fancy robes and outdated rites and empty rituals. But underneath it's, underneath this whitewashed green screen, really, what we find is an institution infected with bitterness and lust, quit marriages, worthless words, proud judgmentalism, cliques. Religion is again conceded to imitate instead of impact its culture. When Jesus challenges us at the end of the previous chapter to take personal inventory, what do we do more than the world? And the way that we're kind and who we love and the way that we deal with those in need, how are we different than the world? I mean, if I'm not even willing to rise up above the world's standards, how in the world do I expect to shine Jesus when I look just like everyone else? In chapter 6 now, he takes me beyond that. Not just to what do I do to look different from the world around me, but now what do I do to look any different from the failed religious order around me? That which seems to be impotent and ineffective. Well, getting to the source of this problem, to be honest, is like finding the true location of my heart. And therefore, all religion really kind of falls itself into really three categories if you think about it. And I find it interesting. They kind of work with the same thing when I think about locating. Back in 1987, or I should say 78, They launched a handful of satellites. Uh, Now there's 31 of them out in the sky, and we call them GPS, Global Positioning Satellites. They're how your TomTom and your SatNav work. They bounce off of that to tell you where you're at. Garmin and TomTom and the others, if you're in a boat in the middle of the sea, it can actually now tell you how close you are to land without even seeing it. And interesting, because even Jesus is going to take a nab at that. Here, those three areas, the first is giving. In all types, in every religion, there's some form of giving that's required. Whatever it is, it's expected of you to give. The P is for praying, and one way or another, there's certainly prayers. And the S is for sacraments. What are the sacraments that identify your particular group? For instance, if you were part of Islam, the giving is zakat, by the way. That's the idea that's necessary of their five pillars to give to charity. The prayers, the salats, the shahada, the idea of confessing that there's one God and, and, and making sure that you pray this, these prayers five times a day. The fasting, the chalm, and the, the, uh, the hajj that you have to do to make a pilgrimage. Those are part of your rites, if you will. Those are your sacraments that you do as part of being Muslim. Or with Hindu, we have the karma and the mantras and the meditations and the yogas. Those things that are still, in its simplest sense, giving and praying and sacramental. With the Jewish people, it's the mitzvahs. To this day, a mitzvah is a kind deed. And it is expected. After the Sanhedrin was disbanded, when the Roman legion came in in A.D. 70 and destroyed the uh, temple in Jerusalem, they reconvened in the one place they had condemned in Israel, that being Tiberias. It was a strictly Roman city. 
It was built on a graveyard, and of course there's nothing more unkosher than a graveyard. But they reconvened there, and when they did, they asked themselves, how do we get right with God now? We can't do the sacrificial system. There's no temple to offer our sin offerings. There's no place to offer our, our, our sacrifice on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, our Day of Covering. So what do we do? And in the early 100s AD, the decision was made, good works, mitzvot, were done to make you right with God. The very same thing that the Catholic Church has embraced in many cases. So for them as well, the mitzvot, the three times of prayer in their case, shacharif, mincha, and ma'ariv, and then zoom, your fasting and the other things that you do that you think are part of your sacraments. But at the core of it all, it really is about what I really treasure. And what we see in this is Jesus is going to go for the throat of that. Because it really isn't about what I give as much as why I give. Matter of fact, the only area where the what will be addressed will be in the prayer area. The church now, or in this case the synagogues, and the temple had turned into a three-ring circus. There was boastful benevolence in the first ring where people were giving but making big show of it. There was prayer performances where people had learned how to pray. Today we would say they might have learned how to pray in King James as if somehow Shakespeare had a straight line to God and we don't. Oh, bring us thou hither, Lord. It's amazing how a normal, very quiet person, and I've been around people like this, we get in a prayer circle and everyone's quiet and meek. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's like Lawrence Olivier steps out somewhere and he's like, oh, Lord. And I'm just, I'm shocked. Now, maybe that is genuine. Now, I know for me it wouldn't be. But there are, in the second ring, there are these prayer performances that Jesus addresses. And in the third, the slow death, surrender dramas of the great sacrifices we're making for God. Oh, my goodness. Do you know how long I had to take a train to get to church today? Do you know how early I had to get up for that 1230 service? Do you know how rough it is? But the problem is, is in all of these performances, Jesus is addressing it from the perspective of our Father, and this is one of our problems. Can I just ask, if you'd be willing to do this, and I recognize this is a little intimate, and that's all kind of fun. How many of you here would say that you have a very great, godly example of a father? Raise your hand right now. Okay, look around the room. That is about a third of you. I'd like you to consider that. I understand. Thank you, Rube, for raising your hand, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I try not to point you out, but that was one of those cases I was really hoping you'd raise your hand. Uh, we get this place where we have to get over that word. And yet this word is going to be used. Your father, the term your father will be used two times more in this sermon than it will be than all of the other three Gospels combined. The term your heavenly father, three times more than all of the other Gospels combined. You think he's trying to tell us something? If we don't understand that all of this stuff is born out of overflow, out of the intense, intimate relationship with the father, well then be honest, we're going to be striving through all of this because if we don't understand this kind of love and we don't grasp this, then the only affection we find is sensual. And that's a very dangerous world. 
If we don't know how to put positive respect in a healthy category, we'll just assume that somebody's sexy because they do something well. How dangerous is that? And we deal with that in our culture. You're well aware of that. And here he says religion is not supposed to be like that. Then we drag that rubbish into the church. And we come into this brand new environment, this brand new society. Maybe you've said yes to Jesus just recently and you come into a place like this and you go, oh my goodness, now what do I do? How do I fit into this new thing? I'm the newbie. I'm the outsider. I'm the castaway. Surely they won't like me. And we try to figure out what scripts they say, what things they learn, and we try to figure out how to play that role. And there is the danger. As we can get so caught up in doing that that we actually forget this is supposed to be about a bunch of people who have been adopted by the King of Kings himself. And we have a new father who loves us intrinsically and perfectly. And if we can't wrap our head around that, you guys, what we're going to find ourselves doing is constantly performing for a love we already have. And how sad is that? It is my prayer. There are very few prayers that I could tell you that I have prayed for decades. But one of those prayers has been that my wife and my children will never have to get over the words groom and father because of my example. And that they would see that they are loved simply because they're mine. Well, Jesus is going to break this up now into three categories. Take a look at it with me as we dive into our text. In six one, he tells us to take heed. I remind you, this is his disciples he's speaking to. And as he's speaking to his disciples, he is directly addressing a group of people who have chosen to step forward. Not just the multitudes who have received some kind of casual touch from Jesus. Very not casual for the moment. They've been healed from whatever it was that they were healed from. But now, clearly, these are people who are choosing to want to be like Jesus. And in choosing to want to be like Jesus, he tells them this word. Pros echo. Pros means towards and echo means to hold. To grab a hold of and pull to your side or pull into you. The idea of those things, and you know this, some people will say things and it'll bounce right off of you. Oh, that doesn't apply to me. And you kind of nod, you get the information and off it goes. And there are other things you just grab a hold of and you pull into your bosom and it's intimate and it's important and you cherish it. That's what Jesus is saying about these three things. This is that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. In all three cases, be that in our giving and in our praying and in our sacraments, it doesn't tell us, Jesus does, never tells us in this text to not do them. Matter of fact, he'll even say when you fast and when you pray and when you give. Not if you should or maybe if that's the case. The issue is not that the thing is bad. The problem is the intent. And in each one of those, he's going to use the word hypocrite. A word that will be used more in this particular book than the rest of the Bible combined. A hypocrite, hooper, means over or on or above. Krit is a mask. In the simplest sense, a hypocrite is a mask wearer. In Jesus' day, there was still Greek comedy and tragedies. You don't take for 11-person play 11 people. You take four people at best, or at least, or I should say at most, and then each one of them has different characters. They come out in different masks, and every mask they wear is a different character. We might say today, don't be an actor. Now, this is not Jesus saying you need to quit the profession if you're involved in it. What Jesus is saying is when it comes to your Christianity, it is not an act. And in each one of these cases, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. Isn't it interesting? Of all the things that the church is called, is the church not called hypocrite more than anything else? And most people don't even know what it means. 
They just think it's like Christian pepper spray. There's just certain things, you know, people do that are out there. Like, who is Cain's wife? It's like spraying it in your face and you're going to run away crying because someone asked you who Cain's wife was. Oh, I can't go to church. There's too many hypocrites. There's too many actors. Is that what you're saying? But you went to the clubs last night. How can you tell me you won't go to a place where there's actors if you went? Talk about the stage makeup that's worn. Talk about the roles people play. And it is important to note, beloved, don't buy a lie. Just because someone throws that at you, don't even, don't even let it affect you. Tell them there's room for one more and tell them they can come. But he'll tell us in all three of these cases, don't be like an actor. And I think there's three primary aspects of an actor that actually very much apply in regards to this. But look at it with me again. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Your intent is that your kindness is for performance. And he says, because if that is the case, you have no reward from your father in heaven. And this becomes a very heavy point. And that is evidently you cannot have both rewards. You are either going to have your reward from your father in heaven or you're going to have your reward from man on earth. So you have to choose. Is everything so that someone else can applaud you? Is it so that other people can be drawn into your things so that they can support you and validate you? When Jesus should have done that at the cross. And we get to this place. Here's the problem. Within us, within every one of us, is an appetite to be wanted, to be important, to be special. And God placed that appetite inside of you. The problem is not the appetite. The problem is the menu. But he put it inside of us so that something inside of us would crave to be wanted by someone who really knew us. But if we get proud and we put ourselves first, what we find is we can build a shell of ourselves in such a way that nobody really knows who we really are. We don't even know who we really are. But this little thing we've kind of portrayed of ourselves that's a half inch thick is going to be good enough for everybody to kind of like us as long as they don't know us very well. And what happens then is we become popular and we become kind of cute for the moment. But unfortunately, we have to fight to keep things from becoming intimate because as soon as they go beyond that, it shatters the image of who we are and they realize we're just as miserable of a dope as everyone else. And he tells us, listen, when you give, don't let it be so that other people can think you're a giver. Because if that's the case, the only reward you're going to get is from people. But you won't get anything from Father in Heaven. You can't get both here. Therefore, application, verse 2. When you do a charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may have glory from men. Surely I tell you, there's their reward. They have their reward. The first thing we can learn about an actor is that they perform for applause. The stage is an opportunity and all acts are exactly that. They're for the glory of an audience. As much as we may not always think that way, please hear me in this. Here's the problem, is that no matter how great we performed, a tepid response from the audience will still change. Is that not true, those of you who have performed? You may have given your best dance, your best act, your best, you may have sung better than you ever have, danced better than you ever have, remembered every line, perfect blocking. You did it in a way that was so natural that people would have believed you were the character and you would have gone, man, I nailed it, man, I crushed it. But if the audience responds in a tepid way, you still walk away from there wondering what you did wrong. 
performers perform for applause. And what he's telling us is, in the same way, that could be us in regards to our kindness. And I ask, when it comes to kindness, is it only done in front of people? Because what Jesus says is, well, if that's the case, you kind of know who you're doing it for. And if it is that, if it is the case like this, he says, this is the problem because, and he uses this weird thing of giving and blowing a trumpet. Now we kind of think that that's kind of funny from a cartoon perspective. Obviously, here's a guy and he's going to put something in a tithe box or he's going to put something as the hat's being passed. He's like, check this out, you know, holding it up. But understand in the days that Jesus was speaking in the temple, the temple had a treasury. And the temple had a treasury that was made, and out of, this, out of this sort of big block type of wall came these things that looked just like old gramophone horns. Do you remember those like really like kind of phonographs? Man, like, let's go way back. We go from CD to where it got really big. And then when those things, they went into these things that had this big old horn that shot out. That's what it looked like. And there were 12 of those, and they shot out of the wall, so they were made out of metal. So what would, I mean, and most of what we were giving, it wasn't like you gave pound notes. Everything came with metal. I mean, when you gave, you gave metal. So imagine what would happen when you dumped metal into that thing. You could kind of throw it in, or you could kind of do it as if you were jump-shotting everything. It was like, ka-chang, 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 ka-chang. You were sounding a trumpet. And the idea of it was you wanted everybody to know. Now, there is a woman who was in the treasury Jesus takes special note of, who, by the way, only had, as we're aware of, two minas. Now, if you see the size of a mina, it's roughly the size of this button. It is almost impossible to make a loud noise out of that. When you're dropping that in the horn, it would sound like a fly landed on it. But God took special note of it. Because she was not just how she was giving, but it was the fact that why she was giving. It was given out of love. It wasn't out of the excess but rather out of her or abundance, but it was out of her necessity, but she gave anyways. And I'm looking, we're not passing a hat. I almost feel like I have to apologize. But look, giving isn't just what you give into a tithe box. Giving is what you do with other people. And you run around and you tell people how you really, what you gave. Hypocrites or actors act for applause. And he says, don't let that be your Christianity. Don't let it be that everything you do is for applause. So if you had an amazing day with the Lord and you were like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read the book of Isaiah tomorrow. How many people do you want to tell when you're done? Now, look, at there are certain people that you're just encouraged. But there's, you know the difference when you're doing it because you're just like, you know, you guys, I'm just so blessed. Read the book of Isaiah. And you know the kind of like you just can't wait to say, hey, everybody read the book of Isaiah today. Memorize the whole thing. Just so when you do your charitable deed. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And listen, listen. From the simplest sense, we get it. But isn't it kind of a funny thing? When, when, when was the last time your hands talked? That's like one hand's reaching in the pocket and it's going, shh, 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 don't tell the other. Except this. When Jesus was resurrected, he sat down where of the Father? Do you remember? At the Father's right hand. And God said, come sit here at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. It is important to recognize that when a king sits on his throne, there is normally a person on his left and a person on his right. The person on his right is the person who executes his will. That's why we use the term my right hand man. He's the guy who gets it done. That's my right hand man. He's the getter-donner guy. 
Now, get her done her. How's that for good English? Now, and therefore, the only time the guy sits down, of course, is when he's finished the job. When Jesus rose from the dead, he paid the price on the cross and rose again. The beauty of it is Jesus sat down because the price was paid. Your sins have been fully paid for on the cross, not just the ones you've done. Contrary to what the Catholic Church and others have said, where Jesus only died for the sins before you accepted him, before you made confirmation, and now you've got to work off the rest. That's why he's still on the cross there. Truth be told, Jesus paid for every one of your sins, and mine too. And if you haven't accepted the gift of Jesus, you need to know you'll have that opportunity today. And you'd say, well, there's too many, ch- too many hypocrites. Well, then don't be one yourself. But the left hand was the guy that actually recorded everything and therefore was his counselor. So the king would say, what do we do on this? And he would be saying, well, I was writing down last week that you did this and this, and we have this precedent. And if I look at it from then, I get the idea. It's like, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is. Hey, look, when this hand wants to do something for the Lord, but you know it's for the Lord, the last thing, you don't want to just go and try to get applause by trying to find the counselor person and go, hey, by the way, I just want you to know. This amazing thing of what I'm going to do. Because Jesus says, if that's the case, don't look for a reward from me. You've already gotten it. But does it sound weird to think that we should be looking for a reward or wanting a reward from our Father? You know why that sounds so weird? Because most of us may, may have not had, according to the show of hands, most of us didn't have that kind of dad. If you had a dad that you knew and you trusted and you felt safe with, one that you knew loved you and was going to protect you and provide for you and care for you. There's something in that environment that you're free to be a little goofy, a little strange, a little whatever, to be free. And somehow you knew certain things are just going to make dad smile. Certain things are going to just make him delight a little bit. You don't do it because you think in the end of it all, well, maybe I'll get five more pounds out of this. But when you love your dad, you do it. Because, to be honest, just to see him smile and to know his pleasure is the reward you want. And I get the idea here. It's like, really, do you, do you know what it's like? Could you imagine what it's like to live under the delight of a father who delights in you? Not just tolerates you or puts up with you or is contractually obligated to whatever, but, I mean, genuinely delights in you. Because if we got that through our skulls today, our walk with God would revolutionize. And I remind you, this isn't Jesus saying, this, this message in Matthew 5-7 through is not about just having an intimate relationship with Jesus. This message is about showing us how to have an intimate relationship with the Father. And he goes, look, at when you're giving, could you imagine if you didn't give for ovation, but rather out of overflow? And you gave just because you were so blessed, you just wanted to give I remember when Shantae was younger, she used to give away all of her plush toys. Now, it was kind of weird because Tay's always been a plush toy kind of, kind of kid. And, and it's, uh, that's, you know, Rue's not that kind of way. She's not, she's, there's not a lot about her that says plush toy. But when I think of Tay, the funny thing is I remember when Tay said she would just give them out to everyone. And it was like if a friend came over, they came out with a plush toy. And it was like that was just the blessing of coming over. I remember asking her, you know, I go, hey, I'm, I'm not upset or anything. I think it's awesome. But let me ask you. Why are you giving away all your toys? And she said, oh, it doesn't matter. You'll just give me new ones anyways. <laughs> so she thought something was getting old. She just kind of dished it off. And, and, and I thought it went, she says part of it was her way of saying that she loved her friends. And part of it was her way of kind of just kind of renewing inventory. 
And I think about that for myself. Could I imagine if I'm so blessed by God, I just want to give stuff because if I want to give stuff because I just know God's going to replace it anyways. Now, I'm not talking about being foolish, but I'm talking about delighting in the Father in a way where I just want to give because I just love my dad and I'm so thankful. Because that's what he's talking about here. And the idea of living in a delight of a father who says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He says, if you're willing to do this so that nobody else sees, I will reward you. The father will reward you himself openly. There will be a day of great reward, and it will be really great to grab it. Verse 5, our second, the one he develops the most. And when you pray, don't be like the actors. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they'd be seen by men. Oh, Jesus is going to go off on this one in Matthew 23. He's going to jones on this in a way that you're going to see Jesus just gets tight. It's like Jesus the trash talker. Check it for yourself. None of it without cause, of course. But he says, they love. And the word love, by the way, is not that agape, selfless love. This is that befriend man. Their best friend is being seen in public this way. Both on the synagogues and in the street corners. That they would be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But you know what? If you pray, when you pray, notice. Not if you pray. When you pray, go into your room. And when you shut your door. Then pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees you will reward you openly. Now, as a parent, there comes a time when you learn how to have a conversation for someone else's benefit. Some of you have already learned that. You know, when you're in the car, your children are out acting up behind you, and you turn to your wife and you say, Wow, that's a shame if they keep acting like this. We're going to apparently not go where they're really excited about going. Now, that's clearly not for my wife's benefit. She's already aware of that. That's because you know that they're listening. My wife just basically plays the role. We know we're acting at this moment. And she plays. I know. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm, That's right. What a shame that would be. And we're already looking back there to see the response. Now, of course, the problem is with our kids, they know that act and they just play into it. They, I mean, there's nothing about our kids that doesn't sniff through hypocrisy. And I, and I think about that, but could you imagine it being more the case when it comes to something intimate? Speaking something gentle and kind and loving to someone, but really not even talking to them, but talking at them for someone else's benefit? Could a father be so hurt than something like this? Can you imagine you're going, do you remember what prayer is supposed to be? Prayer was supposed to be us sitting down and talking. And when my kids were really little, I couldn't wait for them to get older. Because I knew this. Now, my wife spent a little bit. Of course, you know, the moment that you have your first child, you get a bit of a lobotomy because the, your language starts to, what in the How did that happen? I had never been around children before our first. She was, I mean, I was like, so she, the fact she turned out even somewhat normal is a miracle. But I think about what that's like. I couldn't wait till I could get to that point where I could sit and have a heart-to-heart talk with them. Because that's where I'm at. I'm like, I just want to, I just want to crawl in your soul a little bit and get a little bit of this understanding. What, what are you really about? What, what really moves you? What really drives you? But could you imagine if my kid, and I've always, I've always thought to go on dates with them. 
Do you know that when I actually went out for the week that I was gone uh, to York, to um, the conference that I got to speak at, my daughter asked me out on a date. Do you know that? For all the times I got to ask her out, she asked me out on a date. It was so beautiful. You know what we did? We walked, we talked, and we prayed. That was it. I just love that we have a history of that. I'm like, so tell me, where are you really at? You know those moments where it's like, okay, enough of all the pretense. Let's just talk about real life. What's really going on in here? What, you know, I don't want to just pray for your surface stuff. But I want to get this stuff going. Because I want to be that friend that can say, hey, let's make those decisions right together. But man, I would, if and in such a moment, she was performing so that's like, could you imagine if somehow she was doing this, but she was kind of filming the whole thing privately so that she could get some kind of college credit for talking to dad 101 or something like that? Oh, you should have seen. I, I had him like he was being emotional and tender and gentle. Wow. Do I get extra credit for that? Could you imagine how I would feel about that? Can you imagine what we've made of prayer? Well, we talk about the power of prayer, like the powers in the prayer instead of the person you're talking to. And we get to this point where it's almost like if you could pray. And have you ever seen these? If you pray this prayer, like the prayer of St. Jude or the prayer of whatever, 15 times you can get the new Bentley. I don't know who in the world you're praying to, the Bentley God. But in the end of it all, clearly, I don't think, you know, can you imagine somebody doing that? You know, it's like, no, I look at when a kid's little, I get that. You know, it's like they look at, mm, want some cake, want some cake, want some cake, want some cake, want some cake. What? Want some cake, want some cake, want some cake, want some cake, want some cake. I get that. But that's actually very young. But as you get older, you learn how to, to say that in a way that's like, you know, Father. Great and almighty, great, wonderful Father. You kind of already know you're getting, someone's asking for something. You know it, right? Oh, almighty. Really? Is that the cry of your heart? Do you remember that Jesus is speaking with a Syrophoenician woman? Then she's up north. And as it is the case, she comes in, and it sounds like such a really odd conversation. Because she says, son of David, have mercy. I have a possessed daughter. She's in a really bad way, and for good reason. Her daughter's possessed. That can't make the house fun. Jesus doesn't even really give her the time of day. Then he turns and says, well, it's not good to take the bread and throw it to the dogs. You think, ouch. This woman's in trouble and Jesus is talking to her like this. What am I missing? And then she says, you know, but even the puppies or the dogs that sit under the table will take a crumb. See, so understand her approach to him was son of David, a Syrophoenician woman. Where did she get son of David from? Do you really think that the Syrophoenician people talk to each other that way? David, son of David. You really think we get there? I kind of get the idea that she had kind of learned this. She had saw some people around Jesus and she saw they approached him because they were Jewish and this was certainly a title Jesus would have gotten, but it wasn't for her. And so she kind of comes at him kind of like as not a Jew pretending to be a Jew. And Jesus goes, hey, if you want to play that game, man, that's like a dog at the table. And she finally says, help. And you can see Jesus going, that's all I was really listening for. That's all I wanted. Don't give me this big show. Could you just pull your heart at me? Because the more you play this out, the less I want to listen. But the moment you're like, God, could you just help me? It's like, okay, your daughter's well. You can go home. 
And I love the fact that it wasn't Jesus was being tight with her. He was just yanking out the stuff. Because you can imagine if he had just said, well, yes, I'm the son of David. Your daughter's healed. Can you imagine what would have happened? She would have gone back and told everyone, what you guys got to do is you got to go, son of David. Don't forget that. Now, we went through it this way. If you're going to pray, it's only going to work if you finish it with, in Jesus' name. Right? That's like our special abracadabra little caveat at the end, right? You know, have you ever like prayed something and then like the Lord responded in such a beautiful way and then the same situation came up, you prayed again and it didn't work and you started sifting through your head what you prayed differently? Like, what did I do wrong? What words did I use this time I didn't last time or vice versa? Like, you can see God going, really, this is about the script? Is that what this is about? And that becomes our second point of a hypocrite. Hypocrites don't just perform for applause. Hypocrites have skits. I'm sorry, have scripts. And as, as actors have scripts, if you read your script, you kind of know these kind of lines are going to kill. You know, I'm going to have to get through half of this scene, but I can't wait to get to this line because when I get this line, everybody's going to roll. And I'm kind of waiting for it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to feel it. Okay, here we go. And I kind of like, see that. And he goes, he goes, I know that's the way actors are. That's not the way our relationship is supposed to be. Like, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to have to tell you a few things, but what I'm really going to get at is what I need. And then at the end of it all, oh, in Jesus' name. And the guy's like, oh, now I have to do it. Could you imagine that that's our prayer life? And he goes, here's the weirdest thing. These guys are on street corners. Oh, God! You can see God going, wow, that was a really amazing performance, but I don't know what in the world you're talking about. You weren't talking to me. But then I started thinking about other things, like speaking in tongues. Because according to 1 Corinthians 14, it tells us that tongues is from men to God. So people, some people even say that's our prayer language. Hey, I'm not going to diss that because it says it's from man to God. Here's the question. Is the only time you're speaking in tongues in front of people? Worship. Is it really speaking to God? Every song we do, if you notice, is directed to God. Is the only time we do that. You're like, well, I don't sing very well. Then all the more reason why you should do it when no one else is around. <laughs> Nobody can criticize you. The point is, if the only time we do things like that are in front of people, is it only because it's scheduled? Is it really out of overflow? And then we wonder why it's a hard thing to get over. But could you imagine if it was our lifestyle? You know, what's interesting is prayer was intended to be as an act common, not that the prayer itself was to be common. So we didn't need a book to have wrote for it, because to be honest, we actually were to pray without ceasing, according to 1 Thessalonians. Could you imagine trying to find the right prayer? Can you imagine God going, oh, well, uh, I really can't respond to that. You're actually, you're two pages off. And you're like, dang it, this was the, oh, was it the prayer for the, oh, uh. And it's, can you imagine? It's like most of the time I've read some of this stuff, I don't even know what in the world they're saying. It's beautiful language. But I mean, when I try to sift down what it's saying, I'm like, I'm not really sure this is saying. Well, it certainly isn't saying the cry of my heart. And I'm not trying to diss somebody else's prayer because I imagine when that person prayed it, it may have been very meaningful to them. But the problem was it was their prayer. You really want to find an effective prayer? How about this one? Help! Because that was what Peter said when he was drowning. It was very effective. He didn't have time to go, oh, great. Then the moment he started getting into King James, he would have been dead. 
And look at the whole point of it is what the Lord really wants is the cry of our hearts. But you know where the cry of our heart happens the most? Where we feel the most safe to unpack our heart. And I guarantee you that will not be in front of anyone else. Isn't it true? It's like, hey, look at in front of each other here. You guys are getting together. You guys got together to pray before we started this. Think about how open your heart was. And you may have been around people that you came to church with today. But maybe you didn't and you're even more careful. But can you imagine? Because like, if God's like, if I really want to talk heart to heart, we need to go to the one place where you're, you feel safe enough to do that. And that is going to be where nobody is going to hear but me. Because that's why, that's why we talk about places like prayer closets. It's like, well, go in your room, close the door, and then just talk to me, please. Just talk to me. You know, of all the things that Jesus' disciples learned, do you know only one thing in all of Scripture is disciples asked to be taught? Have you thought that through? They did ask in regards to the end times, a little understanding of it. But the one thing that they, were ta- that they asked Jesus to teach him to do was to pray. And they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. That's 11, Luke 11, 1, as John taught his disciples. And this, Luke will then bring up this particular prayer. If I'm to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, and I start to look at this and I start to think, well, wait a minute. Before Jesus gives us this thing that we call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, he gives us this beautiful note in verse 7. Look at it with me. Because I think this is the funniest part. I have funny only in the sense of how odd it is. When you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Men, don't just be not like the actors, but don't be like the heathen either. Heathen are obviously people who don't know God. And he says they think that they will be heard for their many words. He's like, the more you talk, it's like Dickens. The more you talk, the more you get paid. So he says, don't just say something over and over and over again, because I'm not blessed by that. That doesn't sound like a fresh conversation. The ironic thing is then Jesus gives us this particular model prayer. And as he gives us this model prayer, some people use this model prayer in vain repetition. Don't you find that strange? Hey, I, I, was, I, I spent a couple of years in a parochial school. And I remember because I wasn't necessarily the best kid in their eyes. I had to say this prayer in some cases 50, 60 times before I could leave the room. So you know what you do at that point. You learn to say it as fast as you can. Because it's a box to tick. Could you imagine? There's God. Watching I'm like, it's like, God's like, wow, glad we had this talk. So he's like, look, and he doesn't say pray this. He says in this way or in this manner. He goes, let me give you a heart of prayer. First line. And I'll go through this quickly because I'd love to develop it all. But please just hear me in this overview. The next time, God willing, we go through Matthew, we'll dive into it more intense. Father, our Father, my Father. Don't just approach me as God or some omniscient mist. Realize our relationship before we even start this prayer. As we begin it, you better know who I am to you. Holy is your name. Second, you better know how unique I am. I'm not your bellhop. I'm not your waiter. I'm your God. And I'm your Father. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Next, you better realize what you really should be seeking. Your kingdom and your will. Will, by the way, phileos, as the word is pleasure. 
not just your special secret plan that I need to decode a ring for. Can you imagine dad? My dad? Nobody's like you. So let it be what you want done, what pleases you be done down here like it is up there. May it be your kingdom, your dominion, not mine, yours here, just like it is up there. Then, give and forgive. Did you notice there's a next? Don't just give me everything, but give me what I need today, this day, our daily bread, like the manna, and forgive us our trespasses. And what I've learned is when I put give and forgive in the same breath, what I ask for is very different. Could you imagine if some people taught us to, to pray the way that we, we, we hear some people praying? Even perhaps like ourselves in some cases. Where it's like, God, give, 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 give. Oh yeah, in Jesus' name, amen. It's like, first of all, hey, look at Father. No one like you. Unique. Holy is your name. That's what hallowed me. It's your kingdom. It's your pleasure. Now, will you give and forgive? Forgive me? Wow, can you imagine how that changes things? Even as I forgive others. And don't lead me into anything that's going to test me there. I'll fail. Lead me away from the evil one. Deliver me away from the evil one. You know, if I were to look at this prayer, what I see is, is what a kid really asks his dad. You know, he's like, Dad, what do you want to do today? Especially if you knew what your dad had was better plans for you than you did. What do you want to do today? You know, you're the boss. Give what we need to get that done. And, and, and let, me be, let me be good to the rest of my brothers and sisters. Forgive me when I'm not. Don't put me in a place where I'm going to fall, embarrass you and me. Because it's yours, it's your kingdom, it's your power, it's your glory forever. Notice the word in verse 14, for. For, I remind you, it means because. And when I realize that, everything kind of gets heavy. Because if you forgive men. Well, wait a minute, your kingdom, your power, and then he starts talking about forgiveness again. Did you see how much forgiveness is in this? How crazy is that? Hey, look at If you want to forgive people, good. Expect your father to do the same. If you want to live a life of unforgiveness and you're always pointing the finger and it's there the problem, well, don't expect forgiveness either. And so when it comes to prayer, I can't lay down a list of demands. Even the things I'm asking for are for his will, not mine. They're for his kingdom, not mine. So to give me what's necessary to look like him, the forgiver, my father. And as hypocrites, as we bring this around to close, as hypocrites know how to perform for people, our actors know how to perform for people and for applause, and as they have a script, finally in verse, 15, verse 16, moreover, when you fast. By the way, did you notice it doesn't say if you fast? I think that's interesting. If you want to know more about fasting, this Thursday at our afternoon study, the one where we normally do comparative stuff, since this isn't a comparative text, we're going to teach on fasting. So any of you who want to come on Thursday afternoon, we're going to talk about biblical fasting and what that looks like. Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the, the actors, the hypocrites, with a sad countenance. They disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. 
Assuredly, I tell you that they have the rewards. The reward. Hypocrites, actors, they not only perform for an audience for applause, they not only have a script, but they play characters. That's what makes them an actor. They play characters. They can appear selfless, sincere, deeply spiritual, but in the end, it's just a mask. Isn't it? It's not really them. It's just a part. I think it was interesting. Some of you knew they kind of did a remake of, uh, what was that called? The, the, the kind of rapture movies. And they used Nicolas Cage. Some of you familiar with that? What's that called? Swept away, caught up. It was left behind. Thank you. Left behind. What was that movie called? Left behind. And they asked him, well, how do you feel about this? Is this you? Because the guy obviously he becomes a Christian in the middle of the movie. Is kind of the idea it turns. He's kind of he's left behind. He's a pilot and he's going to have to deal with it. Well, interesting. He says, well, I let my movies do the talking about where I'm at with God, which is interesting because since then and before then he was a demon driver. And he was like, it was like all these movies where he's like, he's like comes out of hell. I mean, I think that's really interesting. And the reason I say that is it's like this kind of point where, you know, you kind of you get caught in the role for a little bit and you kind of have to entertain it. But it's really not who you are. Now, maybe if you're even more deep in it, you'll be a method actor. And then you can't like, you, you know, like Daniel Day-Lewis and these other guys when he played Lincoln. It was like he walked around with that, that, hat, that hat on and the beard like until the movie was over, which had to look for, excuse me, but can I get a bagel, please? You know, and it was interesting how he played it. But in the end of it all, sooner or later, he had to walk away from the role. And he wasn't Abraham Lincoln. And they play a role. And in that role, they have wardrobe. And in that role, they have makeup. Because that helps them play the role. So let's play the role of a sacrificer. What does it look like? Disfigured face. Drawn. Sad. That's just your makeup. Isn't it? Look at what Jesus says. He says when he looks at these guys, he says, let me tell you what I see. They have disfigured faces that they would appear to be fasting. They have a sad countenance. Now, like the sadness and the disfigured face, it's all just makeup and wardrobe. That's all it is. In the end of it all, they're going to walk away from church. They're going to walk away from where the people are. And they're going to leave that role behind. And you know what, you guys? This is what grieves, this is what grieves me. <clears throat> it isn't just those things. But let's get to the spirit of it for all of one, every one of us. We all know how to put on our Christian costume when we come in here. Now, we know when to nod, at least to some degree, and some churches will know when to say amen and or whatever. We kind of know where those kind of things are. In some churches, we know when to stand up or kneel down or fight, fight, fight or whatever. We know when to kind of keep our books or even to look like we're looking. And we know how to agree with those things that would be asked in here, like, who wants to stop sinning? And who wants to live for Jesus? And we're like, yeah, because we would look like a dork if we didn't say that here. And we have the experience and we're caught up in the hoopla because we know how to put that thing on. And then we get onto the bus and the train in our cars and we pull out of here. And it's almost like we found a locker to put it somewhere outside the door. And then we go, oh, yeah, but I'm still going to go into this sin. And I'm still going to go chase after this stupid thing. And I'm still going to make it a different set of priorities. And I'm still going to diss my marriage. And I'm still going to do this thing. And I'm still going to play gossip chains. And I'm still going to run bitterness. And I'm still going to do all, And we're going to do all of that stuff. But we'll come back in here and we train ourselves to play this so well, we actually think it's okay. 
And Jesus says, no, it's not okay. It is not okay to have a part-time relationship with the God who dies for you. Imagine Jesus going, well, I'm only going to die for you for about 10 minutes. But really, when it really comes to dying on the other side of it, I'm going to get off the cross. The moment he got off the cross, we'd go to hell without a choice. He goes, don't let this be you. I remind you, the people that Jesus is speaking to may have been possessed before they were brought to him. Crippled. Paralyzed. Possessed. Powerless. Emotional basket cases. But Jesus has touched them and they've been changed. And now that they've been changed and Jesus sits down and his disciples come forward. And even from the mass of the disciples, a group is going to grow to a very massive amount. And most of them will leave him by John 6. So even everybody that enters the school of Jesus won't graduate. The majority of them will drop out. And they say, oh yeah, I went and did that, but it got too hard. Because it talked about sacrifice. And I really wasn't into that. I was way into getting out of hell. I was way into God's blessings. I was way into feeling the spirit. I was way into that holy hallelujah and all that. But the moment I actually had to take that thing out of church and apply it to my household, and the moment that I had realized that I had to give up things in my personal life, that, that I, you know, I, I like those things. Well, at that point, I'm like, oh, man, this is, I, I don't want Jesus in me. I just want him on me. And don't let that be said of you. If this were the last time I ever spoke with you, let that ring through your ears. Then no matter what the case is, for you and me, we walk out of this church and we're supposed to be Christians outside just as much or if more so. This is the one place where it should almost be unbearably bright because we're all lights as Christians. You walk out of here, God's sending you to a place that would be dark without you. It's not a place to blend in. It's a place that's saltless without you. Don't blend in. Salt that's not salty is dirt. As we go to prayer, Jesus takes us to the core of it in these last couple of verses, 19 through 21, and we'll develop it more as it hinges on next week as well. And he says this, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You know why? Because everything on earth is subject to entropy. Moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. Everything is subject to entropy and burglary. And we as a church are well aware of that. We've been burgled now thrice since we've been here. Twice at least from someone who's come here. That we reached out to, that I sat in court with to try to support them. And he says, you're going to lay up treasures in one place or the other. That's it. The same way you can't have rewards in both, you can't lay treasures in both. So let me ask you something. If the Lord were to take you home today, right where you're at, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how many breaths you have left. I don't know how many I have left. What five things would you want to take with you? If God gave you a choice, five things, what would you pick? Your pillow? Your crock pot, your pressure cooker, your iPhone, because you just got it, the new pair of shoes you haven't broken in yet. What are the five things you would pick? The first three for me, 
they fought before they, before there's a full stop at the end of the sentence, I can tell you the first three. They have my surname. Apparently somebody thought you were one of those five to them and they invited you here. Think that through. What do you think treasures really are in heaven? Well, it all depends on where your heart is. And it all depends on what you treasure. But could you imagine treasuring things that will be worthless? If we took one, and you've probably heard this, if we took one street block, one city block of pavement on one side of the street, well, I mean, both would even be more so, and it was made out of the, the pavement stones that God uses in heaven, which is gold, and we cash that in, we would be able to pay the national debt on both sides of the street for America, the UK, Europe, including Greece. We'd be able to pay the national debt if we cashed in those pavement stones that God uses as pavement just on this, what we would call sidewalk on two sides of a city block. So what's that worth for us? You want to take that with you? Could you imagine taking a big block of concrete? There's one over here, by the way. You want, if you want to walk around with it for a little bit just to see what it's like. They bring it out every Easter. And then, of course, we'd move it and they'd have to move, we'd have to move it back for them. The point is this. What if we started, I mean, when you, when you stand before God, you won't, have, you won't be able to have the choice anymore. You will have either sent it ahead, planned for it or not. I would really like you to come with me. I'd really like to stand with you. I would love to stand before God and say, you know what? Yes, we're yours. Because there's no greater treasure. Because the only thing that's eternal in this building or in this world are those that are sitting around you. And we're going to spend eternity somewhere. I'd really like to spend eternity with you. So as we pray, first and foremost, have you even accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? His death on the cross, his resurrection. If you haven't, I'm going to give you that chance. If you have, then I'm going to ask today that God de-hypocrite us. How's that? That he make us through and through completely right with him. And then today, we have communion. What a better day than this to do so. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you.